All right. Hey, everybody. It's Will, and I am really, really fired up today to have Parker Kennedy on the phone. Parker owns Cafe Luna in Raleigh, North Carolina. He started it in 1996, so he's been at it for 22 years now, and it is a phenomenal restaurant. It is highly regarded uh, Italian restaurant in Raleigh. Parker's there all the time. Uh, he's just a legend uh, there in the Raleigh restaurant community, and he's also one of the very first customers of Schedulefly, so uh, even more exciting. So, Parker, thank you so much for taking the time to join today. I know you're busy. Uh, looking forward to just wrapping with you, man, and hearing your story. Thank you for the time. Yes, indeed. Thank you, sir. So, all right, man, you – uh, were I, I did my research. I read up um, on you a little bit, and I, I understand that you were a uh, top wine salesman in New York for a number of years, but you're from Raleigh, and uh, you, you got married in New York and had always kind of wanted to be back in Raleigh, and you were down looking for places to start an Italian restaurant. I read that you uh, are fluent in Italian, um, and uh, you finally found a spot, I guess, and you all moved down around 94, 95, and you, you opened Cafe Luna in 96, right? Is that, is that accurate? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, so, I think, and I think also, Red, you had been in the restaurant business, uh, since, you know, since your youth. So, what, tell me, tell me the backstory, man. How did you get involved in restaurants, and what, what drew you to ultimately wanting to start your own place? Well, my first restaurant job was when I was uh, about 12 years old, 13 years old. I was working at the pool near my house, which isn't there anymore, in Raleigh, called Hayes Barton Swimming Pool. And uh, they had me work in the basket room. And my job was to uh, give people a basket for their clothes when they went swimming and a key to wear with it. And they'd come back and give me the key and not give them the basket back. Needless to say, it was kind of a grimy job. And one day, I got promoted to running the, I guess you wouldn't really call it a restaurant, but kind of a canteen where we had hot dogs and hamburgers and sodas. That's really all we had. And hot dogs and hamburgers were frozen, and all I did was put them in the infrared. They didn't have microwaves <laughs> at that time. I put them in for three minutes. came out piping hot. I really loved the excitement of selling all the food and people coming in, especially on a rainy day when we would oftentimes have a big mob coming in to get, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers and Coke. It was really fun. I think I was making 50 cents an hour and all the hamburgers and hot dogs and Coke I could consume. It was a really good job for a young fellow. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. So you liked just kind of the rush of the adrenaline of, of, I mean, some people that would stress out. It's rainy. Everybody's coming in. Everybody wants a hamburger, hot dog, but you, you enjoyed that. For me, it was delightful to see all those hungry faces, you know. And I was ever so happy to, uh, you know, supply them with their goods. And, you know, through, through my uh, development as a young fellow, I, I did work in a lot of areas of the restaurant business. Um, I worked as a busboy, and I worked as a waiter, and I worked as a maitre d', and I worked as a bartender. Uh, when I was in college in, in Buffalo, New York, I worked as a bartender at a place, which I'm not sure it's still there or not, but it was called Bullfeathers. And, it was a lot of fun, you know, to be a bartender and make a few bucks and, you know, meet a few people. It was very enjoyable. And also, I must tell you, it was fun to be a waiter, fun to be a, a busboy, and 
you know, fun to be a maitre d'. I worked as a maitre d' for my father-in-law in New York City. Uh, he had a, a very nice uh, Italian-American restaurant on the east side in the 70s, which, uh, by the way, is still there, called the Beach Cafe. And I worked for him on the weekends and really learned a lot about how to operate a restaurant for my father-in-law, who gave me kind of the skinny along with his brother, who was very instrumental in uh, my going into business. As a matter of fact, Billy, uh, my father-in-law's brother, actually flew down to Raleigh with me on one occasion to look at some spots. And so he was uh, also what we call in New York a rabbi for me over the uh, over the time he was living, God bless him, uh, when I was in sticky situations with personnel or pricing or whatever it happened to be. Well, so, and so you did all the jobs over the years. Um, and That's right. Really got an understanding, and sounds like a great experience with <clears throat> with your father-in-law. Um, and you learned a lot. But you were so you were selling wine. You were were you traveling to Italy a lot? How did you get dialed into? No, I was in the, I, I started in the wine business actually when I was in college, uh, working for okay. a small wine shop. And uh, when I when I finished school, I realized I didn't really want to stay in Buffalo. It was kind of a not a very exciting place at that particular point. So I wanted to go to New York City, which was the epicenter of the wine business at the time, and probably more or less still is. And uh, there I uh, started working for another wine shop, and then I went uh, for a job as a wine buyer with Sherry Lehman, which was at the time premier wine shop in New York. And it was a great job. I had the privilege of working under Sam Aaron, who was really a dean of wine, and got to meet people very, very famous people like Alexis Sheen and uh, all the, a lot of people from Burgundy and from Bordeaux and had a really great experience learning the trade, which is what selling wine is called. It's called, quote, unquote, the trade. And uh, then I moved on to Moet Hennessy, uh, which was a great company, a great experience, all in New York. And some of that, that was in Florida, where I worked for a year or two for those guys. And then what I decided at that point was to go into selling wine for my own account, which was a, a way to make more money, uh, but a difficult start. It took me almost three years before I really made any money. But then once I started to make money, I did really well. And that involved basically was selling wine and, and spirits to restaurants. And uh, I was constantly in restaurants and, and interacting with restaurants and, and learning different nuances about the restaurant business and, and ambiance and how things operate and how the, everything works. And realizing that with no money, it was very difficult to open your own restaurant, but also realizing that if you just keep working at it, eventually a break will come along. So at that point, um, the, uh, the, the distributorships in New York were consolidating, and this was in... Uh, mid-90s, 1994, 1995. And what that meant was they had gone from five big companies to two companies, and there was, this, there was a loss of, or there was going to be a loss of earning power as the, uh, as the consolidation proceeded because they didn't really need the salesman anymore. And since two companies controlled all the lines, it was you either worked or you didn't work, and they wanted to kind of chop up the territories a little bit, and it would have resulted in my, in my making less money. So here I was faced with the, uh, the old uh, decision 
the decision that it's bad not to make. And so that decision was to go in either I would have had to go into another field of selling, which would have probably been okay too. But in this case, it was kind of the time was right. I had just married my lovely wife, Nicole, and had decided it would be a great time to go into the restaurant business in North Carolina from whence I have come and realized my dream in that business. So that's what I did. I, uh, I borrowed a lot of money from my friends and family and MasterCard and the bank and everywhere else I could get it and opened the Cafe Luna in 1996. Uh, we bought the restaurant on February 14th. The deal was closed and we opened on April 30th, six weeks later, which by the way, is my lovely wife's birthday. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of like, it's kind of a milestone for us. When she has her birthday, the restaurant has its birthday too. That's cool. That's very special. Um, Well, so, Parker, you've got a restaurant that has been uh, for near almost, so right on almost 22 years here in downtown Raleigh. Now, downtown Raleigh, folks, for those of you that are listening, because, you know, some people in Raleigh will listen to this, and people will listen to this all over the country. And Raleigh has got a thriving, thriving independent restaurant scene. Uh, now, there are so many <clears throat> great restaurants there, uh, and, and Parker's has, has stood the test of time. So it's one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you, Parker. Um, tell me about the what the restaurant scene was like in downtown Raleigh in 96, and what's changed from then till today. Well, there, was, there wasn't really anything much to speak of in 96. We had uh, Green Shields, which was a kind of a nice English pub. And we had, uh, you know, the, uh, the City Club and the Cardinal Club, which were private clubs. And we had a couple of little places here and there, uh, sandwich shops. And we had, of course, the Mecca, which has been around since, I think, 1937. And they're wow. basically kind of a, a little American restaurant, very well-known, very well-loved. We really didn't have any competition. Uh, oh, excuse me, there was Black Dog was, was there also. They were doing very well. And, and the, the folks that owned that decided to, uh, they decided to, uh, to sell and go into another business. But I hope I'm not skipping anybody, but it was a pretty small uh, restaurant scene, especially in downtown. I mean, there were other restaurants doing shopping malls and other places, and there were a few chains, of course, but it wasn't very much of an independent restaurant scene. And downtown was just starting to develop. Uh, you know, the, it was a, even a little scary at night because you had a lot of uh, just... A, at that time, we had, I don't know if you remember it well, but in 96, there was a mall, and it really had been hugely unsuccessful, and, and there was really no, uh, no traffic at all in the mall, and at night, it was scary because there was no no foot traffic and people were afraid to even walk around it. So so it, it was an ideal time really to come in. People thought I was crazy to do it, but we, we were very lucky. We opened that in '96, and then the the we, we were in a, a a big building and we had one one small part of it. In '97, the second part became available. It was a bookstore that <coughs> went out of business. Uh, they couldn't collect our receivables. And so we got an opportunity to buy that. So that allowed us to add another 50 or 60 seats. And then in 99, there was a beauty parlor in the last part of the restaurant. And we got that and, and added another 100 seats. So we ended up having, I don't know how we would make the calculation, but about 200 seats inside, which is great. And it allowed us to do 
not only restaurant business, but also to do catering. We were, allowed, we were able to do large weddings and large personal dinners. As a matter of fact, the way we're set up, and this is not anything we figured out. It just happened that way. We have four spaces, the main room where we do our regular a la carte business, and then the palm room, which is next, where we can do a rehearsal dinner for up to 50, the Tuscan room where we can do a rehearsal dinner for 50, and or those two rooms combined for 100, and then we had a smaller room in the back where we could do 25, 26 people for a small rehearsal dinner or a small wedding. And that whole combination can be put together to do 100 people for a wedding on a Friday or Saturday night or a rehearsal dinner on a Friday or Saturday night with, with the DJ because what we did was we put soundproof doors uh, you know, protecting the main part of the restaurant from the rest of the restaurant. So it, it, it's a beautiful uh, setup. Not on Monday, I wish I'd been the one to think of it, but it just happened to work out in our favor. We we, we just fell into it. Just lucky. Well, you know, it's interesting because, say, you expanded twice in the first few years, uh, and you kind of got to the space that you have today. But one thing that I read in an article about you, and I think it was in Our State Magazine, was where you talked about not, you know, not expanding and how you didn't want to expand because it would mean you couldn't be there all the time and it's important to you to be there. Will you talk about that and um, and why that's important to you and, and what you think that adds to the overall experience uh, that your guests have at Cafe Luna? Well, you know, it's always better for a restaurant if you have if if you have ownership on on hand. You know, e- even if they're not on the floor per se, talking to customers, making sure things are right, just the presence of somebody who has a vested interest in business and therefore a vested interest in the customers enjoying themselves and being treated well and enjoying you know the food. I mean that's that's very important. And also, you know, uh, when, when ownership is there. Uh, you know, on, a, on an ongoing basis. They're involved in decisions about the food, decisions about the specials, decisions about how the parties are done and so forth. And we we really enjoy the business. We enjoy the people. We enjoy doing what we do. We try to give our customers a great value for their food. I mean, we, we try to, to be very authentic with our cuisine, very Italian food. We, we use all of our pastas from Italy, uh, and we, we only use the best ingredients. And we're not an expensive restaurant per se. I mean, you really get what you pay for at Cafe Luna. There are a lot of restaurants who just mark their wine up into the sky. And I mean, you really, with a bottle of wine, you don't really, you don't have to you don't have to clean it, you don't have to chop it, you don't have to cook it. You know what I'm saying? All you have to do yeah. is open the bottle, and it, it seems reasonable to give a person a person a reasonable price on that bottle of wine. So that's what we've done. And, so when when, the, when a customer at Cafe Luna looks at a check at the end of the day or the end of the evening, they've gotten a good deal. You get a, a nice full portion of really high quality food, and we don't charge an arm and a leg for it. Do you think that um so as you if you've watched over the years as as the restaurant scene has grown there and lots of folks have come in there and opened successful and popular restaurants, has that been something that I mean do you do you welcome that sort of that competition and do you have do you look at it sort of like you know rising tide lifts all boats or what what have been some of the positives uh about having that scene grow so much for you all because i, I mean it, honestly it's 
you're in a tough business, and for you to have done what you've done for 22 years now and to still be as successful and well-known as you all are, folks, i got to tell you, I mean, anybody that's ever been to Cafe Luna, I mean, they speak extraordinarily highly of it. So I'm, I'm being, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely saying that uh, it, because it's, quite frankly, it's just really impressive. So t- tell me about that, what that's meant to you all <clears throat> as the scene has grown there in Raleigh. Well, we really enjoy it. You know, we, we like I say, we're kind of a bang for the buck place. When somebody yeah. comes, we want to be sure they get full value and they're treated very well and they're in a nice, clean, fresh ambiance. Uh, we, we, we do a lot of work on the back end with maintenance, making sure the floors are varnished and the, the walls are painted and the tables are fresh and clean and, the, you know, everybody's fresh and clean, including the wait staff. <laughs> yeah, right. That's very important. They have to they have to be in tip-top condition, and that's, you know, we, we demand that of them because when a, when a client comes into our restaurant, they want to see a wait, waiter that looks like he got up in the morning and dressed himself properly, not somebody who looked like they fell out of bed, you know, with a... With a Mm-hmm. The wrinkly shirt or or anything like that, and the the thing that is, is so good for us, is we really enjoy the interaction with the people. We really enjoy having people come on a regular basis, getting to know them, getting to know their story, getting to know the dish that they like, getting to know how they like their iced tea or what what wine they like. And for us, it's a pleasure. So I, I wouldn't say it's a club, but it's in a lot of ways, it's like a club, you know. Well, Parker, you know, one thing I'm always curious about is I get that you look at it that way, um, and that's why you've been able to build a successful restaurant. And you've also had Brent Thompson there, I mean, for as long as at least you've been our customer for, you know, ten, ten and a half years that's now. Right. Brent's a, yeah, Brent's a partner now, Will. And he's, so he's a partner, so he's got a vested interest. And, folks, I mean, this Brent's phenomenal. I, I mean, you know, just you know, hands down, phenomenal guy, and does a phenomenal, a great job there. How do you? Um, it, has it impacted you all with because there have been so many restaurants opening there, and there is so much going on? Has it has it been more challenging to attract and keep really good people, Parker, over these years? And because when you talk about somebody that that looks presentable, that's you know doesn't have wrinkly shirts that, that truly is that, that truly wants to um, provide a great experience for the guests it's one thing when you have a vested interest it's another thing when you're you know working at a restaurant how do you find those people how do you keep those people how, how do you motivate those people I'm fascinated by that well I, you know the thing is well I, I probably didn't answer your other question about the competition you know um, in in we have lots and lots of competitors, and they're all nice people, but, you know, there's only a certain critical mass that can support so many restaurants. Yeah. So some people can't be as successful as others, and some people will decide that it's too much work, and some people will be successful. So we welcome everybody, and uh, we, we wish everybody the best of luck. Um, now, repeat your last question again, so I'm going to give you a better answer to that. Well, I'm curious about the staff and how do you keep people as engaged as you'd want them to be? I mean, you know, when you own something or you're a partner in something, it's it's sort of, you know, it's yours, it's your baby, and uh, you kind of live, eat, sleep, drink, breathe it. But, you know, when you work at a restaurant, 
um, how do you keep people, how do you find and keep people motivated to provide that level of service that you all are very well known for and are very consistent at and have been for so many years? Well, you know, well, we have some really great people. We have people that have been there for years. I mean, many people that work for us have been there over 10 years. And i got to tell you the truth. They motivate me because the kind of people that do well in this business like it. And to do well in any business, you've got to enjoy it. And, yeah. and my crew enjoys enjoys working in the business. They enjoy the customers. They enjoy making people happy. You know, they enjoy the interaction. They enjoy making money. And for them, it's fun. And for us, it's fun. You know, it's it's kind of like being a coach of a baseball team and you want to have people that want to play ball on the team. If they don't really want to play ball, then they're not going to be very good at hitting, you know? Yeah, yep, yeah. Well, and I, I suspect that um, you know, you're you motivated by them. I'm sure they're very motivated by you and, you, and the example you set. Um, so <clears throat> I just I find that to be a really fascinating topic because there are there are just so many people working in restaurants these days, and um, I feel like it will be very challenging to find people that really would provide the level of service that you would you know you would expect them to and that you would want them to. And you've done a great job with that. So my hats off to that. Um, well, you know, Will, Will, there are some restaurants, and I've seen this, and of course it never happens at my place, but there's some restaurants where the customers are the prey, if I could say that. And, right. and the, the waiters are there just to see how much money they can make off of them and how they can talk them into something they don't really they don't really need or don't can't really afford and how they can just really take advantage of them. And it's a pretty scary thing, and, and you I've had people that have come to me to work for me who've come from that environment, and they, they're either out the door the first week or they learn pretty fast that we're here to serve the customer, not here to take advantage of them. Is, so, you know, Parker, there's so much going on in restaurants, you know, food trends and technology trends and all this stuff. But, I mean, what I hear from you is you, you're just, you guys are just nailing the basics every day you know what's going on inside your four walls consistent food at a good value and great service i mean is that not to oversimplify it because it's extraordinarily hard to do that and it's extraordinarily extraordinarily tough business and a competitive business but am i am i getting a sense that those are the things that you're focused on or just getting those basic things right every every day day in day out every week every month every year well well, we want to get it right, Will, but we want to improve, and we're constantly uh, we're constantly trying to improve, constantly exploring new ways to do what we do and, and new ways to do things better. Now, I told you Brenda's a partner, but also my chef is a partner and my catering manager is a partner. So everybody is, is pretty serious about what they're doing. It's like when you're there, you're with the owner wherever you yeah. are because there's an owner watching all the time over everything to make yeah. sure that everybody's happy food's exactly like it ought to be. But you, you can't stand still. You know, if you stand still, you sink. So you've got to keep improving, finding new things, although we do keep a lot of classic dishes that people have learned to love over the years. Gotcha, gotcha. But you, but you, uh, one thing you, you can do is is continue to be successful there in that one location and not, not feel like you have to expand, which is, which is such a great thing. And, and, um, Man, I'm I'm just I'm thoroughly impressed with with what you've accomplished. 
Um, I'm, I'm humbled to have a chance to talk to you. I'm, I and all of us here at ScheduleFly are honored to serve y'all. Y'all, y'all were literally our second customer, um, August of 2007. Pretty exciting and, uh, for us too, you know. We're excited by your success. We, you know, when, when you fellas started, it's kind of like a little local software <laughs> group, and you've expanded all over the country. You guys are, have done a fabulous, fabulous job. I mean, and. Uh, be, you might say so if I might interview you that you've succeeded beyond your wildest dreams, wouldn't you say? Well, you know, we we had no idea what to expect, and we're thankful and uh, very fortunate <laughs> to get to be where we are. I mean, we just have five of us, and, uh, you know, we're nearing 7,000 customers, so uh, it's been a great – it's been fun, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we are inspired by folks like you. We're inspired by the people we serve. Um, I, I draw a lot of lessons from successful independent restaurant owners and and managers and people that work in them and the principles that they work with and um so we learn a lot from the people that we serve and we're we're humbled by that and we're inspired by it and we're I love doing stuff like this. I love talking to folks like you and and sharing this with other people. We love sharing your stories and um, just learning from you. So, man, listen, I know you're a busy dude. I really appreciate it. I congratulate you on the success and and uh, wish you and uh, your your bride a, a very happy uh, restaurant and uh, uh, birthday coming up. So um, congrats on that. And, man, if I can ever do anything for you, you know where I'm at. Well, Will, let me just say this. Schedule Fly has taken a tremendous headache out of our business. So if there are any residents out there listening that don't use Schedule Fly, you're nuts because it saves you so much time and so much heartache and makes your operation work so much more smoothly than it did before we had Schedule Fly. It's just it's well worth the money. Well worth the money. Man, I appreciate you saying that. That was very nice of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, listen. Okay, I'll well. I'll uh I'll let you go and we'll catch up again soon, man. Thank you, sir. Have a good day now. Yes, sir. You too. Thanks, Parker. Take care.